Right. I wonder if you're like me and you've ever had uh, to wrestle with fear, anxiety, worry, where your thoughts just seem to get away from you. Your heart just starts racing uncontrollably and you just feel overwhelmed by a sense of fear or worry or anxiety about a situation you're going through. Because if you have, I'm so glad you're here today because God has got something to say to you practically through his word. And your fear, your worry, your anxiety could look something like this. Maybe you're uh, graduating from high school or college in the next year or two, and you start worrying about what your future plans should be, a job, where you're going to live, what you're going to do, who you're going to marry. And and you start thinking about that and you can't let it go. Maybe your uh, fear or anxiety centers on your children. You're worried about their future, their well-being, what their life is going to look like, how the next 30 or 40 years are going to play out for them. And, uh, and you just, it's irrational. Like they get a headache and you're, you're immediately thinking they've got a brain tumor. I know it. I'm convinced this is the end. Uh, maybe it centers on finances. How do I pay my bills? How am I going to ever be, ever, ever be able to retire? I was so close and now I'm so far. And so you're anxious about that. Maybe it's, um, you know, you do something that I don't really recommend you ever do. You watch the news and, uh, and you hear about something that happened to someone somewhere. And as soon as you hear that, your mind immediately goes to what happened to them there then is going to happen to me here now. And, and you're convinced whatever it was that they went through, I am going to experience. Maybe it's when it comes to making a decision. You simply think about it and think about it. You can't turn your brain off. You're just constantly thinking about it. You don't sleep at night. You're, how do I make this decision? How do I handle this situation? Maybe it centers on uh, a worry about being rejected, neglected, overlooked in some way, unwanted, unloved, and you're just constantly wrestling with that. Again, I am so glad you're here because God has something to say to you and to me about our fear, our worry our anxiety, because our Heavenly Father loves us, and He doesn't want us to live like that. Now, I want to say this. If you show me a person who is wrestling with, who is walking in, who is uh, somehow overly, over time, over and over again, uh, concerned with, dealing with fear, worry, or anxiety, I will show you a person whose heart is struggling with trusting God. It doesn't mean they don't want to. It doesn't mean they don't desire to. It doesn't mean they don't love the Lord. It doesn't mean they're not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It simply means in the heart of who they are. When I say heart, I mean the deepest part of who we are. In that deepest part of them, they're struggling to truly stand on God's promises and to believe in his power. And as a result, it manifests itself in their life as fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, This is what it says in Proverbs. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. If in your life, worry, fear, anxiety are present, it's reflective of a heart that's struggling to truly and completely and totally trust God. But Jesus doesn't want us to live with fear, worry, and anxiety. As a matter of fact, he said these words. These are recorded in uh, one of the biographies of his life, the Gospel of John. And Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
So Jesus says, don't be worried, don't be troubled, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, and yet we're anxious, we're worried, we're troubled, we're afraid. My guess is for you, there are certain times, certain places, certain people, certain phrases, certain smells, certain um, words that trigger a response of anxiety, of fear, of trepidation inside of you, and it's at a subconscious level. You don't even know why you're doing that, but it comes out almost as if it's hardwired. You hear this thing, you see this thing, you experience this, and all of a sudden, fear floods in. Anxiety grabs hold of you, and you say, I I don't want to do this. I don't want to be like this, and yet somehow I am. Now, We can get into all of the nitty-gritty details of this, but I just want to touch on on some things that science has discovered because what science has discovered is how God created us. And so what science reveals, well, we're going to find, has already been described to us by God in his word. So in science, they have discovered in the brain two small almond-shaped areas called amygdala. Now, the amygdala are responsible for our, our emotional response. It's, it's, they are hardwired for survival. So have you ever heard when you're in a dangerous situation, there's two responses, fight or flight? Who's ever heard that? Okay, that's not true. There are many more responses. But fight or flight are two of the responses that the amygdala can cause us to um, respond in. Are we ready to fight or we run? But there's also freeze You're in this tense moment and you just freeze up. It's like you're paralyzed. It's because of the way that your amygdala is wired. There's also, uh, you could be, uh, there's a a flood response where you're flooded with all these emotions. Have you ever, maybe you've seen this, right? Something weird, hard, dangerous is happening and you're looking at someone and they start laughing and you go, what is the matter with this person? It's because they're being flooded with all these emotions and they don't know what to do. There's also the fawn response where someone is actually drawn to a dangerous situation or someone uh, that is perpetrating danger. They, they are, they're attracted to them in some way. There's, so there's a lot of ways that we respond based on our amygdala. But the thing is, the amygdala, is, they're not rational. They're not objective. They are simply given to us by God for our protection. So you're driving down the street and you see a car start to swerve and, and, you, and you get this rush of adrenaline. It's your amygdala. Um, you, you, um, you hear someone, you're, you're in the mall and you hear someone run. I mean, and you go, oh my gosh, you know, where's the security? Because something bad's about to happen. It's your amygdala kicking in. But again, it's not rational. It's based on uh, perceived when you feel. Let me rephrase that. It's based on when you feel fear. But it may not be genuine. It may be genuine fear. It may be perceived fear. So maybe you've had this experience. You walk into a dark room, and for some reason, your heart starts to race. There's no reason. You know you're home by yourself. There's nobody there, but you walk, and, and, and it's just become anxious. It's because of a perceived fear. And they're often based on past traumas, hurts, times we've been wounded in some way, mistreated, gone through some uh, horrible situation. So maybe you've been around someone um, who got into some kind of altercation as a teenager with with a group of of peers. Then all of a sudden, you go to um, 
you go to a store and you're with this person and a group of teenagers walk in and you laugh. They get just, they're just having fun. They're being goofy. They, they're, they're teenagers. They can't find their head with both hands. And you don't think anything of it. The person you're with goes, let's get ready. They want to throw down. And you're going, whoa, dude, just take a breath. They're just walking through the store and they're, they're, they're loaded for bear. Because their amygdala is kicking in and they're saying, danger, Will Robinson. Something is going to happen. And so we're triggered by these responses at a subconscious level. We don't think about it. They're ingrained in us because of our past experiences. And, um, and so you see this with little kids, right? Before the, we talked in the first week about neural pathways being established. Well, until those neural pathways are being established, your amygdala doesn't know how to kick in. So you, you got to a three-year-old, and they got to go put their hand in the fire, and you say, don't do that, it's hot. But what do they do as soon as you turn your back? They touch it, because they want to know what hot means. Their amygdala hasn't told them that's going to hurt. They do it, they don't touch that thing anymore, because now it becomes a neural pathway that's established in their minds. So let me give you an example of that from my life. When I was 12, 13 years old, my parents got divorced and I remember I was driving home from youth group with my father, and we're driving. I could tell you exact road we're on, and, and I remember it, and we're, we're heading home. And he says, Justin, we need to talk. And I said, okay, what's up? And he says, your mother and I are getting divorced. And he went on and explained some things, and to this day, I was, I'm, I'm 48, 30-something years ago, when someone says, Justin, we need to talk. My amygdala kicks in and I say, something is bad. Something bad's about to happen. Something bad's about to go down. It's not rational, but it's, it's how I'm wired. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to live in this constant fear because of some perceived danger. He wants us to overcome our anxious hearts and our anxious thoughts. So how do we do that? This is what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He said, do not be anxious about, what's that word? Anything. Anything. Oh, so don't be anxious about anything, not the things that are hardwired into your brain, not the things that you can't control, not the things that you can't control, not the things that you think might happen. Don't be anxious about anything, but I can't control it. It just comes to my mind. Don't be anxious about it. Here's the antidote. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So what he's saying is you're anxious, that's normal, that's gonna happen, but don't dwell on that. Don't allow it to dominate your life. Instead, come to God with your needs, with your concerns, with your fears, with your worries, with your anxieties, and say, God, I'm bringing this to you. I need your help, and I know you're good, and I know you love me, and I thank you for what you're gonna do, and I'm believing that you're going to do something in this situation. And when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, his peace, he'll bring rest to your heart and to your mind. His peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you've been with us for this series, you remember we read from Proverbs 4. It says, above all else, guard your hearts. The number one way you guard your heart is by bringing your fears, your worries, and your anxieties to your heavenly Father. Because when you do that, he promises to guard your heart and give you peace. 
It's amazing to me with this promise right here from God in the scriptures how Christians so often dismiss prayer. The God who can move mountains, who can open blind eyes, who can raise the dead, who can heal the sick, who can make the lame walk, promises us if we'll turn to him in prayer, he will flood our lives, our hearts, our minds with his peace. And yet we come to him for prayer as a last result instead of our first option. And we wonder why we're dealing with anxiety and fear and worry See, if it matters to you, it matters to God. So don't worry about how you're going to play in the game. Don't worry if you're going to be able to close the deal. Don't worry about what's happening uh, with your spouse and your kids. Don't worry about your finances. Don't be anxious about the future. When you find yourself thinking about those things, bring them to God. Pray about it because if it matters to you, it matters to God. If you care about it, God cares about it. More than that, not only do we bring it to God because we know he will will move and do something, prayer isn't just about getting something from God. Prayer is about God doing something in us. So when you pray, you need to remember, when you give your burdens to God, God gives his peace to you. That is the great promise. I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm afraid. Okay, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He loves you so very, very, very much. So bring those things to him. Bring those cares, bring those concerns, and bring them to God. Now, for years, uh, neurologists thought that the brain after um, the, basically, after adolescence was fixed. It didn't change much. So through the formative years and your early teen years, adolescence, 12, 13, 14, that your brain was fixed. So the, the ingrained neural pathways in your amygdala, that was it. They were set. What they found is that that's not true. Uh, an entire field of study called neuroplasticity has come up, and neuroplasticity tells us that the, the brain throughout life is constantly rewiring itself. So that's why things like PTSD happen when you go through a traumatic experience, even into your 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond, but it also helps us to understand how to deal with those things. There's another fascinating field in neurology called neurotheology. It studies the relationship between the brain and a belief in God. And what it has found is that when you pray, it actually changes your physical mind. Dr. Carolyn Leaf wrote this in her book, Switch on Your Brain. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. That's incredible. So as we pray, as we take what Paul wrote to the Philippians and science now understands things, he's saying, you have fear, you have worry, you have anxiety. Don't let those things dominate your life. Come to your heavenly father in prayer. As you do that, he's gonna give you his peace. So here's the thing about prayer. Prayer doesn't only move the heart of God. Prayer calms your heart and heals your mind. So yes, it moves God's heart and he responds, but it does something inside of us. What God has revealed in the Bible some 2,000 years ago, science is just beginning to understand. But come to God, pray about it, ask him to move, ask him to intervene, trust him with your situation. So if that stuff is true, then why do we fear? Why are we anxious? Why 
do we worry? I mean, if as followers of Jesus, we're just supposed to pray, why do these things still come into my heart and into my thoughts and into my mind? Science would tell you that your mind is being hijacked by your amygdala, that somehow or other um, you are not using all of the areas of your brain in, in concert. So the, the amygdala, again, it's, it's emotional response, but it's meant to work in tandem with the prefrontal cortex. So if the amygdala is emotion, the prefrontal cortex is logic, and they're meant to work in tandem. But when you have an anxiety attack, what science says is your amygdala is out of control. It's, it's hijacked your brain. So it's like this, right? You're laying in bed at night and you hear a sound. Your amygdala kicks in and says, someone's breaking in and they're going to kill us. I know it. We're, we're all dead. And so you're just amped up. You're ready to go. I mean, you pull out your arsenal and you set up and you're ready. The prefrontal cortex says, whoa, slow down, buddy. It's just the wind. Remember, there's a remnants of a hurricane blowing through. It's just the wind. You're going to be fine. No one's going to die. Take a breath. When they work in tandem, you, you, you live a balanced life. If you are overly logical and you don't, I mean, if it's just logic and there's no uh, emotion, then you're very slow to respond. Hey, hon, the house is on fire. Get out. Now it's going to be fine. I got to finish this chapter. <laughs> but, but if it's all emotion, then you end up responding irrationally. So every time someone says we need to talk, you freak out and go, oh my gosh, we need to talk. That's bad. I mean, my poor wife for almost 30 years, she'd say, honey, we need to talk. And I would say not today and not ever um, because there's no, nothing good that's going to come out of that if you allow that part of your brain to dominate your thinking. But if you learn to pray, bring it to God, he'll rewire your brain. He'll establish new neural pathways, and it will change you. So science would say your amygdala is out of control. The Bible would say that spiritually what's happening is you are allowing yourself to be dominated, controlled, led by, governed by the flesh, by human nature, by the things of the world instead of the things of God. So that you're not standing on God's promises, believing in his power, declaring his goodness. You're acting irrationally based on fear, based on emotion, based on the, the human condition. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, the mind governed by the flesh, by human emotion, by the things of this world is death. When you're anxious, when you're fearful, when you're afraid. I've talked to people who deal with anxiety. They say, it's just so hard to even live a meaningful life because I'm worried all the time. It's death. But a mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Paul said, when you pray and you're anxious about stuff and you pray and you bring it to God, his peace will come in. So how do you allow your mind to be governed by, led by the Spirit? What you do is you engage the logical part of your brain and you connect it to the spiritual part of who you are. See, God's made a spirit, soul, body. And so sometimes it makes me laugh when Christians talk about we just need the things of the spirit. We don't just need the things of the spirit. We just needed the things of the spirit. There wouldn't be like a world. 
God created the world for a reason. He created our bodies for a reason. He created our brains and our minds for a reason. But what we need to do is engage the logical part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, and say, in this moment, I'm going to choose to believe the truth of, who God, of what God declares. I'm going to stand on his promises. I'm going to engage spiritually. I'm not going to allow this anxiety, this fear, this emotion to dominate me. As we talked about, I'm going to take that thought captive and make it submit to the truth of who God is. But that means engaging spirit and mind. Your spirit and your mind must work together in tandem, one and the other. It's not just spirit, but it's not just thinking positive thoughts. It's both. And sometimes it makes me, again, it makes me scratch my head. Why do we dismiss the physical? This is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, what am I to do? I will pray with my what? Spirit. And I will pray also with my? I will sing with my? And I will also sing with my? God says, I want you to engage both. When you pray to me, when you worship me, when you enter into a relationship with me, don't turn off your brain. If there's a Christian out there who thinks you can't, Christianity ought to be the thinking man's belief system. And yet somehow we've been dismissed as Christians have to turn their brains off. But Paul says, engage your mind and engage your spirit. When you do that, you allow yourself to be led by the spirit. Oh, I have this thought, I have this fear, I have this worry, I have anxiety. I'm not going to let my mind be dominated by worldly things and lead my heart in the wrong direction. I'm going to stand on God's truth, allow the Holy Spirit to lead me so that I move closer to the heart of my Heavenly Father. So we need to do that regularly and consistently. So here's kind of how it works, right? We hear these things and we say, I want to do that. Pastor, that makes sense. I understand that. I see that in the Bible. Uh, So I'm going to do that. So we go home and some fear, some worry, some anxiety creeps into our hearts and we say, I'm going to bring it to God. So we pray, God, take this. I give it to you. I'm going to trust you with this. And for a moment, we feel better. Our our hearts settle, our thoughts calm down. We say, oh, thank you, God. And then about three minutes later, we say, I need to pick that worry back up. I need to pick that anxiety back up because what what that's telling us. Remember I said earlier, if you show me someone who's wrestling with fear, worry, and anxiety, I'll show you someone whose heart is wrestling to trust God completely. What happens is in that moment, we're viewing our worry as bigger than God. This is so big, God, I need to help you with this. I gave it to you, but I don't know if I can trust you with it, so I better pick it back up. So we worry, we pray, and then we worry some more. But what we need to do is begin to see God differently. We need to know God differently. We need to believe in God differently. You need a bigger God than your worry. You need to know that your God is bigger than your worry. Not, God, I'm going to worry about this, pray about it, and then pick it back up. I'm going to worry about this. I'm going to pray about it. And because you're so big and I'm not, because you're all-knowing and I'm not, because you're all-powerful and I'm not, because you love me more than I can even understand, I am going to trust you with this. So let me give you an illustration of how this uh, could play out. And you could do this in your own life. I encourage you to do this at your house. What you need to do is get yourself a God box. So here's, here's a God box. 
Now, this, yours doesn't have to be as fancy as this, but if you really like this one, I would uh, suggest you go to Wilderlove. Uh, this is a one-of-a-kind, and they will sell it to you for an incredibly good price. It even comes with a lock, so you could lock your fears and worries and anxieties away. But no, so you get a God box, okay? And what you do is something comes into your life. You're worried about your teenagers. You're worried about your marriage. You're worried about your finances. You name it. You, you find yourself angry, feeling you're going to be... Um, dismissed or, 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 or overlooked or somehow um, abandoned, right? And this fear irrationally comes up inside of you. What you do is you write it down as specific as you can. God, I am fearful that somehow um, I'm going to be rejected. I'm fearful that if I don't steal this from this store at this moment, I'm going to be without. I'm fearful that if I don't eat until my my button pops off, that I'm going to starve. Because when you were three, your mom and dad didn't have any money. And when you were three, you went hungry. And so that's ingrained in your amygdala. And you go, it doesn't even make sense. I've got a refrigerator full of food, and yet I'm eating so much. So you write that down on that slip of paper. And you bring it, and you open up your God box, and you put it in there. And what that reminds you symbolically is that your slip of paper, your fear, your worry, your anxiety is so very small compared to the size of your God. Now, please don't send me an email and say, God's bigger than a box. I can't believe you said that's the size of God. It's a symbol. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. I understand God's way bigger than this box. But you write it down, and then you close it up, and then you put it back wherever you keep it, on your shelf, on a table somewhere. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to write it down. You're going to pray about it. Say, God, I'm giving you this fear. I'm giving you this worry. I'm giving you this anxiety. And you're going to feel better. And then three, five, ten minutes later, a day later, a week later, it's going to come back. And you're going to want with everything in you to go pick it back up. But here's what you do. You stop and you pray and you say, God, you're good. God, I love you. God, I'm thanking you that you can carry that worry, that fear, that anxiety way better than I ever can. And I've given it to you. So you walk over to your box and you say, I've given it to you and I'm not taking it back. It's yours. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And you're going to have to do that over and over and over again because you're going to be afraid that you're going to be rejected if you trust again, if you put yourself out there again because you were misused and abandoned and neglected and cheated on in the past. But you write it down and you put it in your God box and you say, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. God, it's yours. And as you tell yourself that and come to God through prayer over and over and over again, he begins to rewire your brain. And you find a peace and a restful heart and calm thoughts that you can never have experienced otherwise. A peace that passes understanding. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor, that sounds good. That sounds fine. But you don't understand. My fear is too big. My worry is too immense. My anxiety is too overwhelming. I mean, a little box with some slips of paper in it might work for some people. It's not going to work for me. I, I am paralyzed by fear, worry, and anxiety. I'd say two things to you. The first is this. If that's the case, bring it to God. Bring it to God. Talk to God. Pray to God. Plead with God. Do what the Bible says. But you may also need to talk to a professional Christian counselor, someone who can help you with your specific area 
And we can help you find someone that can do that. The second thing I would say to you is this. I don't care how big your fear is, your worry, your anxiety. My God is bigger. My God is stronger. My God is able. My God can move mountains, and my God can do miracles. But you have to decide, do you believe in that God? Do you trust that God? And do you believe that he'll move that mountain of anxiety in your life? Because if you don't, he won't. If you say God can't, he won't. If you guys say God's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Because at some point you have to engage your mind logically. You have to engage your heart spiritually. The spirit and the mind together move in a miraculous way. This is what Jesus said. I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain of fear, of anxiety that's so big, that's so immense, that you think it's going to drown you, if anyone says to that mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their what? In their heart. It's all about the heart. If anyone believes that and does not doubt in their heart, what they say will be done for them. God wants to do something amazing, but at some point you have to engage your spirit and your mind and say, God, I believe you. I believe you can do something amazing. So what does this all mean? It means there are things that you're responsible for. There are things that you're not responsible for. And there are times when you need to say the result is in God's hands. So you can control some things, There are some things that are out of your control, but God is in control of everything. So there there are things that you can do, there's things you can't do, and there are things that only God can do. So what does that mean? It means this, that you are to do what you're supposed to do. You're to give God what you cannot do, and you're to trust the Lord with the results. So you have a test coming up. You have an exam. Listen, if you just say, God, I'm trusting you with the results, I hope you're happy with your F. Because you can't just say, God, give me an A, God, give me an A, God, give me an A. I mean, you can do that, and if you're lucky, you'll get an A. But that's presuming upon God's grace. What you need to do is do what you're able to do. Study, teenagers. Open a book. Study, prepare. But there's things you're not responsible for. You're not responsible if you wake up and you're not feeling well that morning. You're not responsible for the questions on the exam. You're not uh, responsible for the disposition of the teacher that day who may just have a bee in their bonnet and taking it out on you. You're not responsible for any of that, but then trust the Lord with the results. If you've done everything you're able to do, then trust God with the results. So you're not in good health and you want to get in better health. Listen, you can pray. God, Make me in better health, make me in better health, make me in better health. But there are things you could do. You could stop eating uh, Twinkies and Oreos and donuts. You can exercise. You can change your lifestyle a little bit. And you could say, there are things that I can do, but there are things that are out of my control. I'm not responsible for my metabolism. I'm not responsible for environmental factors. I'm not responsible for some things that happen to my body that are out of my control. So God, I'm going to trust you with the results. You drive down the highway and you say, "I I hope we're safe. Well, you can stop texting while you drive, you can stop speeding, and you can wear your seatbelt. There are things that you can do, there's things you can't do. You're not responsible for the other person that's driving, their, um, their state of mind, and the, um, and the weather conditions. So you say, God, I've done what I can do, I'm not going to worry about what I can't control. And I'm going to trust you with the results, whether it's your health, your finances, Whatever the case is, you say, God, I'm going to trust you. And even if I don't like the results, 
because there's things I can't control, but I trust you, your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your your, your unfailing favor in my life. God, I trust you. I trust your character, and I trust your nature. And so even if the result isn't what I want, I know that you are still good. And all of a sudden, you will find your heart and your mind filled with peace and a subtleness that you never experienced before. But it means that you have to allow the Holy Spirit to move in your heart. So I want to review these last four weeks because it all builds together. So the first week we learned this. You cannot live freed by the truth when your heart is bound by a lie. You can say, I'm walking in freedom, but if you're believing a lie, you're not walking in freedom. So what we learned is that we need to do this. We need to identify the biggest lie that you believe, then identify the truth that destroys the lie. The truth based on God's word that destroys that lie, that lie you believe about yourself. I'm a failure. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. Uh, Nobody will accept me. God rejects me. I'll always be this. I'll never be that. What God's word says, you declare that truth in your life. Then we learn this. What you do is you write it down. You think on it. You know it. You believe it and you walk in it. Write it down. Write that truth down based on God's word. Read it over and over and over. Think on it. Because as you think on it, you'll know it. Because the Bible says when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So keep thinking on it until you know it. Because once you know it, you believe it. And once you believe it, you'll begin to walk in it. And all of a sudden, you'll find freedom. And then last week, we learned this, that we need to allow Jesus to frame your perspective, viewing your circumstances through God's goodness. Okay, you don't like what's going on. It's not fun. It's not what you want. It might be bad, but that doesn't mean everything is bad. It means God is still good. So you can't base God's goodness on your circumstances. You have to base your circumstances on God's goodness. He is always good. He's always faithful. He's always there for me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. So you take all these things and you put them into practice. Then you begin to bring your worries and your concerns and your fears to God so that his peace will flood your heart. And what you're doing is this. You're allowing God's spirit to empower you to win within. God's spirit will always, always, always empower you to win within. It's not by your strength. It's not by thinking positive thoughts. It's not simply by worldly effort. It's saying, God, I'm doing what I can do. There are things that I can't do. But I'm trusting your Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that same spirit, your Holy Spirit that dwells in me to come alive in me and to empower me to win the battle for my heart. So that when the lie comes in, that I'll always be a slave to my bad habits and my bondages and my addictions. I can stand on the truth that I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things will be made new. And he is creating in me a clean heart and a new spirit. When the lie comes in that says you can't, you won't, you'll never, you can say I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. When all of a sudden you begin to wonder, is God good? Because what's happening is so very bad. You say, this might be bad, but God is still good. I believe he's still good. I know he's still good. I stand on that promise. So that when things pop into your heart and into your mind that cause your mind to race and your heart to race and fill with fear and worry and anxiety, you say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I trust you. And when you do that, you will experience a peace, a rest that is supernatural, that passes all 
human understanding. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, those here in person, those joining us online, God, I don't know any of us that at some point or another don't deal with these irrational fears, worries, doubts, these anxious thoughts, these things that pop into our minds cause fear and trepidation. And we go, God, where did that come from? And we can understand it from a human perspective and from a scientific perspective, but God, from the spiritual perspective, we need to understand our hearts are struggling to trust you. And I'm asking you right now, by your Holy Spirit, break those chains and allow us to believe in you, to trust in you, to stand on your promises and believe in your power. Right where you are, just just begin to identify those fears, those worries, those anxieties. Just just name them. Bring them to God. Pray about them. And as you're praying, I want to say something to the rest of us. There may be someone here joining us online. There may be someone here in person. And you say, Pastor, I would love to have that peace. I'd love to have that peace of God that you're talking about. I've never experienced it. I don't know if I can experience it because I don't know if I'm good enough for God to let me in. I've got wonderful news for you. You don't have to be good enough. See, God loved you so much that he sent his son in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived a perfect death. Jesus was good enough for all of us. And he lived a perfect life and died a horrible death. And three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was raised from the dead. And because God is so good and he loves you so much, Jesus' sacrifice was enough for all of our darkness, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our failings. And if you call out on God, he'll accept you in. You don't have to be good enough. None of us are good enough. But Jesus is good enough for all of us. So if that's you here this morning and you would say, I want to place my life in God's hands. I want to give my life and follow Jesus. If you're here this morning in person, raise your hand. If you're joining us online, just click the button right now that says, I surrender my life to Jesus. I give my life to the Lord. And now whether you raised your hand or not, maybe for you, it's not that you're giving your heart to the Lord for the first time, but you're coming back because you prayed this prayer years and years ago and you've wandered, but God's calling you home. He's welcoming you back. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, I'm asking you, would you repeat these words after me? Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me. Take away all my sins. Create in me a clean heart and a new spirit. The old is gone and new has come. I give you my life and I receive new life in Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can live for you, that I could tell others of you, and that I could experience your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to God's family. If you're joining us online, click the button that says connect with us so we can follow up with you in this new life and this new journey with Jesus. If you're joining us here in person and you prayed that prayer after our service is done, please, there'll be folks up here to pray with you, to talk with you, and help you on that journey. But now for all of you, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I don't know what that need is, what that area, what that fear, that worry, that anxiety, that thing that you carry in your heart. But here's what I'm going to invite you to do. As this next song is played, the ushers are going to come by. They're going to pass some baskets. In those baskets are pens and slips of paper. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you'd be bold enough, 
write out that anxiety, that fear, that worry. And as this song is played, I'm going to have this God box up here and symbolically say, I'm laying this down. I'm giving this to God. I'm surrendering this. I'm casting my cares upon him because he cares so very much for me. And when you leave it there, realize you're trusting it to God. If you're joining us online, there's going to be a thing that pops into the chat that says, I want to give my fear, my worry, my anxiety to God. And if you click that button, a prayer box will come up and you can type your fear, your worry, your anxiety in that box and symbolically say, I'm leaving this, I'm leaving this, I'm leaving this with God. And as you do that, watch to see what the Lord does in your heart and in your, in your life here this morning.